Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. From KCBS Radio in San Francisco, I'm Matt Pittman, and this is Bay Current for Thursday, January 27th. Major news out of Washington, D.C., with ties right here to the Bay Area, has the potential to upend Republican hopes of overtaking Congress in this year's midterm elections. Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer will retire at the end of this year's Supreme Court calendar, one of only three liberal justices on a court packed with a supermajority of conservative judges. This paves the way for President Joe Biden to nominate a liberal judge to the nation's highest court. KCBS radio politics reporter Doug Sovereign joins me to talk about the biggest piece of news nationally, and that is the San Francisco product. 1955 graduate of Lowell High School, later went on to Stanford, before he went on to Oxford and then Harvard, and that is Justice Stephen Breyer stepping down And that opens the way for Joe Biden to make his first nomination to the U.S. Supreme Court. Did this one take you by surprise today that Breyer announced when he did? Yeah, it did, actually. Uh, And yes, he's, you know, he's an underachiever, right? Stanford, Harvard, Oxford. I mean, come on. Couldn't couldn't (laughs) get any good schools along the way. Anyway, uh, um, yeah, I mean, it's... uh, well, you know, there's been a lot of pressure on him to do this, but he'd seem to be resisting it. And I'd heard a rumor a while back that he would retire and then it didn't happen. So I wasn't taking it that seriously this time either. But if you look at the calendar, it makes sense. And I think he finally uh, succumbed to the pressure. I think, you know, he's 83, but I, for all we know, he's in fine health and he probably wanted to go a couple more years. But if you look at things, look, I mean, it's a 50-50 Senate with Kamala Harris um, breaking ties. So uh, since they changed the rules, you only need 50 plus one now and not 60. Biden can get a successor confirmed with this Senate. But after November, all bets are off. The Republicans may well control the Senate. Mitch McConnell, we know how he feels about Democratic presidential appointees to the Supreme Court. He might not even take one up. I mean, if Breyer were to retire in 2023 or four, uh, McConnell might just sit on that seat until... uh, Trump or another Republican was in office again. So uh, if, if Breyer was going to step down in the next, you know, during Biden's first term, he really had to do it this year, or there might not be a confirmation because the Republicans would control the Senate. And after 2024, 
the Republicans may control the White House, too. So really, the only option for Breyer, um, if he wanted to ensure that his successor was also a Democratic appointee, was to go now. But I, I still, uh, the signs to me were that he, that he might resist that. But obviously, the pressure became too much, or he's, a, he's always been seen on the court as a bit of a pragmatist. So maybe he looked at this pragmatically, too, even though, you know, they're not supposed to think politically, right? Um, uh, but speaking, you know, he's a political guy and uh, looking at that pragmatically, he may have thought uh, it's now or never. Now, Joe Biden was very clear, even in the, the presidential debates before he locked up the nomination about what he wanted to do if he were elected president and he had the chance to nominate to the highest court in the land. And he said stated unequivocally, he wants to be the first president to nominate for confirmation, the first African-American woman to the United States Supreme Court. What do you imagine his list looks like right now? Well, I think it's really short. There are four or five names that have been bandied about the last couple of years. Uh, and he, he, yeah, he's been unequivocal. Black woman for the Supreme Court. There's never been one. I mean, there have only been, what, four women? Sandra Day O'Connor with uh, five women, I guess now, uh, with Amy Coney Barrett. There have been five women on, on the high court. Uh, four white and one Latina, and um, there's never been a black woman. And um, he wants to make history, just as Gavin Newsom did in California uh, with his his picks for um, the Senate with Alex Padilla and for the Secretary of State with Shirley Weber. Uh, you know, he's been very clear about what he wanted to do, and Biden's been very clear about a black woman on the Supreme Court. And topping that list is a Californian, Leandra Kruger, who was put on the California Supreme Court by Governor Brown, just a couple of years ago. She's 45. Um, she's extremely well-educated too. Harvard, Yale Law, clerked at the U.S. Supreme Court. She worked in the Department of Justice under Obama. So she actually has argued before the Supreme Court a dozen times. By all accounts, a really smart, capable woman. She's also Jewish, so she's black and Jewish. And then you have uh, Katandri Brown-Jackson, who is probably at the top of most people's lists. Um, she is a D.C. Circuit judge in, in Washington, D.C., which has been the proving ground for justices in recent years. Amy Co Tony Barrett was on that court. Ruth Bader Ginsburg was on that court. Uh, it's sort of where they pluck Supreme Court justices from uh, these days. And uh, she also has impeccable credentials. Harvard, Harvard Law, clerked for Breyer, which has to be a plus. Um, there's been some recent uh, tradition of that, having people replace um, justices for whom they clerked. So I think those two are probably at the top of the list. There are a couple others, but those are the two most prominent names. And it seems overwhelmingly likely that one of them is going to be uh, President Biden's nominee. So... If you're Mitch McConnell right now, you probably don't regret changing the Senate rules because that allowed you to get Neil Gorsuch onto the Supreme Court. And then that paved the way for Brett Kavanaugh, that paved the way for Amy Coney Barrett. The argument that a Kristen Sinema or a Joe Manchin makes is, well, if we change the rules now to get, you know, build back better or to if we get voting rights, if you know we change the rules now, that could come around to to get us in the end in when power switches over. And that's going to probably happen to Republicans right now. But if you're Mitch McConnell, you you got three judges on. So, you know, that's part of the, the calculus, right? What, if any, mechanisms would Mitch McConnell and Senate Republicans have right now to derail this? Do they have any? Not not really much. I mean, as you say, they changed the rules. Uh, and, and yeah, looking at that... Um, trade for Mitch McConnell. He'll take that any day of the week to get not just three justices on, but the balance of the court really shifted now. We're at 6-3 for Republican appointees, whereas replacing Breyer with any of the women I mentioned or someone else, 
uh, it's still six to three. This is not going to alter the ideological balance of the court. So it's less important for the Republicans to block this one because they're not really losing much here. I mean, they're losing years and that you'll get somebody who will now be on the court in that seat for, you know, 30 years or something. But uh, it's not like suddenly it's going to make it 5-4. So they don't have to fight as hard on this. So yeah, he'll take that trade every day of the week. Um, and uh, as you say, changing the rules could come back to haunt um, whichever party does it. And that's one of the fears of the Democrats who oppose getting rid of the filibuster, that if they make it possible to pass these laws with 50 plus one, then who knows what laws the Republicans will pass when they're in control, which could be very soon. So um, I, I, there, I don't see a lot that the Republicans can do. I mean, you can filibuster all day long, but there isn't really much they can do. And Mitch McConnell doesn't control this calendar, so he can't do what he did when President Obama nominated Merrick Garland and say, well, we're just going to not we're not going to meet with him and we're, we're not going to consider this nominee. And I don't feel that it's appropriate. Well, you know, <laughs> we're not going to hear. I mean, he'll say those things again now, uh, but but they won't matter because Chuck Schumer controls uh, the confirmation process and the hearing schedule. And the Democrats have already said they're going to take a page right out of the Republicans book with Amy Coney Barrett and they're going to expedite this thing. Yeah. They're not going to take months and months and drag it out through the summer. They want to get an, a nominee and, and a confirmation before Breyer even leaves the seat, not only while the seat is still warm, while it's still hot. Uh, you know, he, he'll be there to the end of June. Uh, they're talking about getting this done in the spring and having somebody already waiting in the wings, ready to take that seat the moment Stephen Breyer decides to walk out the doors. We talked last week here on the podcast, you and I, Doug, about uh, the kind of perilous moment that Joe Biden finds himself in right now as his presidency turned one year old this month. Uh, his poll numbers are really, really bad. He has had some swings and misses on some legislation. Is this something that could maybe get a little bit of the mojo back for the Democrat Party and get their base a little bit more enthusiastic? No question it could. Uh, you know, if you're the Democrats... Uh, this is a godsend because, first of all, uh, it gives him an opportunity to bolster his credentials with the black community, which there's been a lot of disenchantment among progressives, among blacks, a lot of, among a lot of the people who make up the Democratic Party base. They're, they're not so thrilled about the job Joe Biden has done. And for him to get to put a black woman on the court, that is something he can point to directly in November and then beyond and say, look what I did. Uh, for your community. And so I think that's really important. And it'll also galvanize the base in that it'll just even more, you know, along with the Roe v. Wade, whatever abortion decision comes in June, whichever way that goes, whether it's gutted or overturned, uh, it'll just raise the stakes for November and say, look, we've told you how important this is and that elections have consequences. We just put this person on the Supreme Court. The existing court just overturned or gutted Roe v. Wade. This is how important it is that the next Supreme Court appointee also come from a Joe Biden um, and so uh, or be someone that Biden can confirm with a Republican Senate. So, yeah, there's no question that this nomination process and the abortion decision that comes in June combined are going to have a huge impact on the midterm elections. They do help the Democrats, I think, and they galvanize the base. And on the on the flip side of that, the Republicans can use the counter argument, or really the same argument, and say, this is why this is so important to our side, oh, yeah. is that, um, look what the Democrats just did. We've got to keep Joe Biden from putting another person like that on the court. So they will both use it for fundraising and for voter mobilization, and it could have a huge impact in November. And final question, Doug, what will be the legacy that Justice Breyer is leaving behind? Well, I think he will be seen as, you know, a real stalwart member of the liberal wing, someone with a very strong record um, for abortion rights, for gay rights, LGBTQ rights. Um, he, he, as I said, he's regarded as a pragmatist, not, not a guy who necessarily seeks compromise, but somebody who looks at the 
real world impact of their decisions and, you know, not in some ivory tower uh, and, you know, with an abstract approach to, well, we're going to follow the law and this is what it says and, uh, you know, consequences be damned. He looks at the impact of decisions. And I think that's, you see that in his opinions uh, time and time again. And, you know, this is not what, what the framers intended. They didn't want this impact. And we're not going that direction. And he's had a real impact on some of the abortion rights cases. So I think he will, he will go down in history for that. Uh, and as someone, you know, that seat for many years, think about um, whom he succeeded, Harry Blackman, who right. wrote Roe v. Wade. Right. I mean, he, that legacy was very important to Breyer. Some really uh, landmark social justice justices have been in that seat. And I think Breyer has proven himself, uh, himself a worthy successor to it. If I can add one more thing, can I add one more thing? Yeah, go for it. I just want to add one personal note about Justice Breyer retiring. Um, this seat has always had sort of a special significance in my family because, and I, I, very few people know this, but um, when Bill Clinton appointed Stephen Breyer uh, almost, what, 28 years ago, um, he had a short list of two, which was, he cut the list way down to two, and the other name on that list was never publicly disclosed. They kept it very secret. There were some meetings at the White House. And that second person, the runner-up for this seat, was my father. And he was going to be the nominee if it wasn't going to be Breyer. And he, they went with Breyer in part because he was um, seven years or so younger and they wanted somebody who could, who could serve longer. Uh, and so my dad came away disappointed, but an enthusiastic supporter of Breyer, as he had been of the previous appointee, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who was a very close friend of his. Um, so I've always thought about, and he had thought about how his life would have been very different if he had spent the last quarter century on the Supreme Court instead of doing what he was doing instead. And um, sadly, you know, my dad passed away two years ago last week. So had he filled that seat, it would have been replaced by Donald Trump, not by Joe Biden. So history could have been very different. And this is these are the twists and turns uh, fate takes and history takes. And it brings us here to this point where now Joe Biden gets to replace this this Supreme Court justice. Uh, that is in, incredible. And you're right. I never knew this. You and I have never even discussed this before. That's that's remarkable. What do you remember about that process? Uh, as you mentioned, obviously very secretive, and I imagine that's pretty standard for folks that um, are are on a short list. What do you remember about that process going all the way back to what was it, nineteen ninety four? Yeah, it would have been 94. Not much because, let's see, I was already living in California and my dad kept it very close to the vest. Um, he had already been involved in Ginsburg's nomination uh, and went to the went, went to the White House thinking he had been summoned to discuss the next appointee and give advice on who that should be and met with Lloyd Cutler, who was the White House counsel and with President Clinton and was surprised flabbergasted, in fact, when he was told, no, we're here to talk about you as the nominee. Wow. I mean, he had no idea. And they kept it very, very hush-hush. Uh, but they did the whole, you know, FBI background check and all the stuff they do. And in the end, uh, my dad was 62 and Breyer, I think, was 55. Mm -hmm. And they had recently changed the guidelines that you shouldn't appoint anyone over 60. Uh, so that was a big factor. You, want, you, know, you wanted someone who could serve a long time. Um, so, uh, I, you know, I, we were told very little about it at the time. Uh, he obviously would have taken the job if it had been offered. Mm. Uh, there had been previous opportunities in Washington that, um, he did not take and that the family, we all didn't think he should take, but something like that, you just don't say no to. Oh my goodness. No, that's incredible. Thank you for sharing that. That is outstanding. Sure. That's incredible. Thank you. Doug, I mean, I, I say it every time I have you on, always very insightful. And, and this is why. 
I mean, just a really cool uh, anecdote to the biggest story uh, on national politics, uh, certainly this week. Uh, Doug Sovereign is our political reporter at KCBS Radio, host of the State of California every afternoon on KCBS Radio at 3.30. That's where you can catch him and also on the State of California podcast. Doug, appreciate it as always. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for having me again. Thanks again to my colleague, Doug Sovereign. And thank you for listening. New episodes of Bay Current are out every day, and we'd love to be part of your daily routine. You can subscribe to the podcast on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, just about anywhere you listen. And every episode is on the KCBS Radio YouTube page, and there's a link to that in our show notes. That's it for today's Bay Current. I'm Matt Pittman, and we'll chat with you again tomorrow. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.